Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast, a special Final Four edition of our podcast this week. Alongside Blue Ribbon's Chris Dorch, I'm Kevin Ingram. The Final Four is all set for Houston this weekend. We have the teams, and Chris, you know, I got my bracket out here to, to look at it, to see how I did. Let's see here, uh, San Diego State, check, I had them. Uh, FAU, yep, I had them on there, my Final Four. Miami, yeah, I definitely had the Hurricanes. And then uh, UConn, yep, so uh, four for four uh, as, I, as I check out my bracket. that 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 is... 100 percent not true not only did i not get any of the final four right i didn't even get any of the elite eight right so uh the, the, probably the worst year ever for me in, in trying to predict these things but it's quite the interesting final four isn't it it, it is and and i find myself this morning suffering from what i'm going to call battered bracket syndrome <laughs> uh, there is no bbs <laughs> there, is, <laughs> there is no known cure uh and I have myself to blame because I actually went back and listened to some of our earlier podcasts this year where we predicted that this sort of thing could happen based on some of the upsets that we saw in November and December. And I think the game is fundamentally changed. If you look at the transfer portal and the NIL, just to give you two examples of, of two Final Four teams, no way Miami – is in the final four if they don't give an $800,000 deal to Nigel Pack, the point guard transfer from Kansas State. UConn had just two starters remaining from a year ago, but they went into the portal and got four kids, including Tristan Newton and Joey Calcaterra, who have really helped uh, energize their backcourt. And San Diego State has two backcourt transfer starters. It's just everywhere you look. So uh, FAU might be the exception. I haven't looked at their roster yet and seen the transfers. But for them, uh, it was the three-point goal. And I've long said that since the advent of the three-pointer, uh, parity has kind of been sneaking and sneaking up on us. And, and now it's here. It's crazy. Kansas State had two players back, and yet they were able to recruit enough transfers to get themselves into the Elite Eight and – I thought had every opportunity to get to the final four. So the game has fundamentally changed and I may never fill out a bracket again. <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people might be with you. Uh, it's the first time since 1979 that no team higher than a four seed has made it to the final four and all the number ones were gone by Friday night. It was just uh, crazy to see. Well, let's talk about the, uh, the regional final games we'll start with the two on sunday first of all san diego state advanced with that a uh, little bit of a controversial win over creighton 57 56 a game that was a clank fest for a whole lot of the way not a ton of contact in that last foul ryan nemhard's foul on darian tremell sent him to the free throw line with 1.2 left and he hit one out of two creighton just shot it terrible in the second half they had so many close misses and balls were up on the rim just rolled off shot 27 percent i thought they made a bad decision on that final inbounds play you got over a second to me you throw it to a team in a midcourt and try to hit a long one guys can make half court shots with, with more regularity than you used to see but instead they tried to throw it into a sea of hands and basically a hail mary on the other end and it went out of bounds and then they ran out of time after the review but um an interesting game a close finish uh, i don't know that any of us had san diego state in creighton or probably somebody did uh, for for the regional final there but uh, congrats to the aztecs they finally make it to the final four a program that's had a lot of really good teams and some pretty good tradition yeah, and, you know, every time I think that I was about to come on this show today and, and say whoever said defense wins championships is wrong, uh, offense wins championships. But 
San Diego State is as as long, even when Steve Fisher kind of resurrected the program and handed over to Coach Dutcher, it's been a defensive-oriented program. And their deal is we're just going to shut you down and figure out a way to score more points than you. And kind of like Tennessee tried to do uh, this year, but finally, uh, without their point guard, finally ran into a brick wall in FAU. But, yeah, it's funny what San Diego State has been able to do and really largely out of the public eye because most of us who live on uh, the other side of the Mississippi don't get to watch them much. I, I happen to like the Mountain West. Unfortunately, I don't think they're long for that league after the departure of uh, UCLA and USC uh, to the to the Big Ten. Right. I still can't imagine a tennis match between <laughs> UCLA and Rutgers. Yeah, at Rutgers, exactly. That'll be crazy. Uh, quick trivia question about San Diego State. Do you know who their all-time leading assist getter is in the history of that program? Wow. Uh, I don't. All right. I'm going to let you think about it. We're going to come back to that at the end of the show. Okay. Okay. In the other regional final on Sunday, Miami beat Texas 88-81 for the Canes' first Final Four. It was not the first Final Four for Jim Laranega. Uh, seeing him on the ladder, that was pretty cool. But he also took number 11 seed George Mason to the Final Four back in 2006. Jordan Miller was terrific. A perfect day, basically. 7 of 7 from the field, made all 13 of his free throws, and scored 27 points. Miami came back from double figures in the second half. They were down 13 against the Longhorns. I thought Texas missed Dylan DeSue out with an injury for the last couple games. But congrats to Miami and Jim Laranega. They were a tough team. I I tracked them a little bit during the ACC season and and seen them win some big games, and they just had a certain toughness about them. But uh, outscored Texas yesterday to, to finally break through and get to the Final Four. Yeah, I think it was 13 years to the day that Coach Laranega led one of my former schools, George Mason, to the Final Four. So, you know, he's been there and done that. Good coach. 73 years young. uh, Doesn't seem like he wants to quit anytime soon. So, yeah, it's a beautifully constructed team, and I like the way that he lets his players just kind of do their thing. And again, adding Nigel Pack, I think, was a huge thing. And uh, you know, that's uh, there's an article, I think, in The Athletic. Uh, Miami was built uh, by the NIL, and they don't care what you think about it. Yeah. And, you know, that's the rules of the land now. So uh, good for them. They were able to pull it off. Some other schools weren't. But uh, good for Coach Laranega. He's been good for the game, uh, does things the right way. And obviously his players love him, but just if you look at the – the post-game interviews or where they tried to interview him. He just gets surrounded by his players and they can't really talk. But I I, I think that's a program that's well-run and, and he's a, one of the more respected coaches in the business. You could have an all-South Florida championship game. FAU eliminated Kansas State on Saturday, 79-76. He had really good balance for the Owls. They shot it well. And a tip of the cap to K-State's Marquise Noel. He was awesome in the tournament. Really, one of he might have been the most fun guy to watch in the whole deal. 30 points, had 12 assists. He won the regional most outstanding player, even for a losing team. But it was well-deserved. But FAU moves on. Uh, the team plays in a, a really small gym down there in Boca. I've been there a few times. And if you told me 20 years ago when I was sitting in that gym uh, at FAU that they'd be in the Final Four at this point, I'm not sure if I would have believed that. But they're on their way uh, to Houston after knocking out Kansas State. Yeah, it's both good and bad, I, I think, for Coach Dusty May. Good because obviously they're there. Bad because if they hadn't gotten in the dance, he would have probably gotten one of these power conference jobs that 
that that are out there. I I thought for sure Ole Miss was had his name on it, but he's won more games every year. He's been there. Uh, he's done it largely by you know producing talent. Not to say that he didn't get transfers. He did sign a couple of transfers, including Jalen Gaffney from from UConn, uh, who was going to be in the Final Four no matter what uh, what he did. But largely, you know, he was developing a, a, a program, a culture, and a style. And, you know, those guys can shoot the three. And I was prepared to come here and tell you that offense wins championships, not defense. <laughs> uh, but, but it's not necessarily true. I think it's more like, uh, you know, Joe is going to talk to us a lot about uh, the the real parity lies in the fact that these teams finally get to play the big boys on a somewhat equal footing, you know, in a neutral gym with neutral refs. And wow, can that make some changes? Yeah, and we should mention that Joe Lenardi's coming up, ESPN's bracket experts. Uh, he's going to join us here in a couple minutes. But uh, FEU won the first game on Saturday. And then in the second game, UConn, with what I thought might have been the most impressive performance of any team in the tournament, uh, yep. they absolutely hammered Gonzaga in the second half of that game. Ended up winning 82-54 in a game that was a, a single-figure game at halftime. It was the largest Elite Eight margin since 1992. The Huskies make the Final Four for the sixth time, this time under Dan Hurley. But they've been five times, and they won four championships, so that percentage is pretty good, too. And also, it ends a remarkable career for Drew Timmy. Uh, sounds like he's going to the NBA. Uh, an all-time great college player, and top 10 in scoring in the history of the NCAA tournament with 301 points. So uh, he had a fantastic career. Uh, he, he's always pretty entertaining, too. Sometimes he works blue, but uh, it was uh, the, the other team in blue, UConn, that's on its way to the Final Four in Houston. They really are. And uh, I got to hand it to a friend of the show, Seth Greenberg. I think when the brackets were announced, he called UConn into the Final Four. And, you know, UConn had a little stretch there where they were dominant. Then they had a stretch there where they lost, let's see, one, two, three, four, five out of six. Uh, and maybe people wonder what the heck was going on. But I got to watch them in December, and I thought, wow, they are huge. They got Sonogo, who is awesome uh, in the paint. They got this freshman, Donovan Klingon, seven feet and uh, 265, can, can move and run. What a great backup center. Uh, and then they really worked the portal well. They got Tristan Newton from uh, uh, East Carolina, who was their third leading scorer and led him in assists, shot 40% from three. They got this kid, Joey Calcaterra from San Diego, uh, used to play in the likes of St. Mary's and Gonzaga, who shot 44% from three and gave them quite a lift. So they were able to, they lost a lot of people, this was a case of the portal giveth and the portal taketh away. And I think it was a case of Danny Hurley. My friend Brendan Quinn wrote a really great story in The Athletic that appeared this morning about Danny Hurley's journey in basketball. When he was 20, he was ready to quit the game. He was suffering from depression in comparison to his legendary father and brother, and he just was going to quit the game. But somehow he stayed, stayed on, and he's matured as a coach, I think he even said midway through the year he was wrestling and arguing with referees, and maybe it was his father. I don't know who it was, but somebody told him to chill the heck out. And he's done that, 
and his team along with him. And I mean, for what it's worth, I, my my picks mean nothing, but I think they'll 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 cut the nets down. I think they're the best team still in the tournament by far. I would agree with that. If I was making a pick, I would say UConn would be the one. They've been the most impressive throughout the tournament. They won all their games by a, a big margin. So uh, they'll probably be the favorite to going into Houston this coming weekend. And, you know, Every time I see Danny Hurley, I think about – I actually saw him play uh, 30 years ago uh, when my alma mater knocked out his alma mater, Seton Hall, in the uh, NCAA tournament in Orlando back in 1993 in the, in the second round. Uh, Western beat him. You, Seton Hall was the number two seed, and, and Western was the seven, I believe it was. And uh, the Hilltoppers had, had beaten Memphis State and Penny Hardaway in the previous game, and then they beat a really good Seton Hall team that had Danny Hurley and Terry DeHare and uh, Arturis Kanishevas, I believe, was was the big guy for them. And uh, Western knocked him out, ended up going to the Sweet 16 and losing to Florida State in overtime. But, yeah, some of the stuff makes you feel old when you see these guys and you think about uh, how long ago it was that, that you saw him play. Uh, coaching changes, Chris. Sounds like Rodney Terry is going to be the guy at Texas. And, and why not? They made a terrific run. I don't see how they could hire anybody else uh, to be the permanent replacement for Chris Beard. He did a terrific job in a season that could have totally gone the other way. And granted, it's a Longhorn team that had a lot of talent, but I, I thought he did a really good job, and I'm glad to see him get that job. Yeah, me too. I, I think, uh, as John uh, Lennon once said on on the rooftop uh, when they played their final concert, uh, I hope we pass the audition. And mm -hmm. I, I sure think Rodney Terry passed the audition uh, just a couple of baskets away from the f final four. And he's got a good staff with him. Steve McLean, who's been a head coach before, uh, a couple of other former head coaches on that staff. So I, I think he'll do a great job. He's been a head coach twice before. Really, at a, at a place like Texas, you're the CEO, and you just have to manage things and, and let uh, the people that work for you do things. you got to close deals with recruits. The state of Texas is loaded with talent, and the state school is going to get them. I think he'll do a great job there. I really do. And I'm glad uh, to see him get it. Boy, since our last podcast, if you look at the coaching changes, it's crazy. Micah Shrewsbury goes from Penn State to Notre Dame. I I think that was a good hire. Ed Cooley from Providence to Georgetown. Yeah. Excellent hire. Uh, Tobin Anderson doesn't even let it sink in what he did at FDU and all the, the crazy shenanigans. He's gone to Iona uh, because, as we, as everybody predicted, you know, uh, Rick was going to go go to St. John's if he had half a chance, and he did. That's probably where he'll end his career. And Tobin Anderson, uh, his teams play as fast as he talks, and I think he'll do a great job at Iona, and I don't think he'll be there very long. So it's crazy. Uh, you know, you, you take a chance on a, on a guy who – coached at less than division one level and they proved that hey these guys know what they're doing too so uh kim english uh, a friend of mine that i've known since he was on rick barnes staff he goes from george mason to providence he was only at george mason two years so he's somewhat of a prodigy prodigy he's only 36 years old so yeah and the carousel's not done yet it's still spinning and will continue uh, i guess until you know maybe the end of end of this month Chris, this week's guest is a guy who uh, joins us a couple times a year on our show. We're always thrilled to have him. ESPN's bracket expert, the bracketologist himself, live from the bunker, Joe Lenardi. What's going on? Good morning, fellas. It's uh, 
It's a beautiful time of the year. Only four teams left and officially the beginning of golf season. All right. <laughs> yeah, you're right on that second point. Well, you're right on both points, but that golf season, I need it after uh, suffering battered bracket syndrome, as I was telling Kevin earlier. Joe, I, I wanted to ask you this. Of course, we've, we've known one another for so long, and we've talked about this process of yours for so many years. But I'm curious, as you're doing your thing every year, does your research uncover some teams that you stop and think, man, this team might make some noise in the bracket and shock some people. Uh, Does that happen much? Uh, Did you see FDU, uh, for example? Did you see St. Peter's or or anybody that just, you know, nobody would think of but you because you study it more than anybody else? There have been teams uh, over the years that have jumped out. Unfortunately, those two that you just mentioned weren't among them. I, I actually saw FDU in person this year. They came into St. Joe's and spanked us back in December wow. by 17. Uh, but at the time, I thought that was much more common about St. Joe's than it was about fairly Dickinson. Uh, I did get to meet the coach. Uh, we did a Zoom before the game because, as we've read about this student SID that they have, he was yeah. absolutely killing it in trying to promote FDU. And I'm like, to my radio partner, I'm like, well, you know, let's play long. It'd be nice and blah, 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 blah. Because, you know, we were all 20 and 21 and trying to make our way in this silly business. Uh, But no, did did I think that they would be able to beat a one seed? Absolutely not. Uh, And and I actually think St. Peter's last year was maybe even more of a Cinderella because I've been to their campus a number of times and there's nothing about it that would suggest elite eight to you. Uh, But of course, I think that brings up the most important element of the tournament, at least from an analytics perspective in, in, in my world, which is we're talking about a 40 minute game played by, you know, 19 and 20 year olds for the most part. We're not talking about a best of seven played by 29 and 30 year olds in the NBA. You know, if, if, if St. Peter's had played Kentucky best of seven or FDU had played Purdue best of seven or the most extreme example, you know, the first one we saw UMBC against UVA back five years ago, the the favorite's going to win in five, like every time. Uh, because they're not going to panic like we saw in in a one-and-done situation. Um, But, of course, that's also the beauty of the tournament. If every round was best of seven or best of anything, only the junkies would watch. Yeah. You had a good year, didn't you? I think you – I read where you got 67 of 68, and was Rutgers the lone exception? It it was – that seems it's got to be seven or eight years in a row now that I've, I've been right at 67. It, it, it seems to be my, it seems to be my default setting. Um, uh, as, as I like to tell people, th- there is a sport 
I can score 67 in. It's not golf, unfortunately. It's <laughs> it's bracketology. Uh, unless I only play, what, 13, 14 holes, whatever it is. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and Chris, to be honest, like, I can't, like, bang my shoe on the table and say that Rutgers, you know, lock, stock, and barrel should have been in. Like, yeah. y- you know, may- may- maybe in the old days – like I, I would go crazy over a missed team and blame the committee for this, that, and the other thing. I, I, I mean, excluding Rutgers was a very defensible choice. Including Nevada was a very defensible choice. Uh, I only go nutty now if if they, they just take a team from way off the board that that doesn't really rise. To, to the level of, you know, logic in terms of their own process. Uh, because if the three of us were the committee and we were voting on Rutgers in Nevada, we, we might, we, we might make a different choice on Monday than we'd make on Tuesday because it really is that close. Joe Lenardi is our guest. Now I'm going to ask a self-serving question here, but, uh, and in full disclosure, I call the games for Vanderbilt, but why don't conference results seem to count for more in this whole process? To me, it's hard to understand how Vanderbilt can beat Mississippi state and Arkansas head to head. They finish eight and 10 Vanderbilt finishes 11 and seven in the sec three games ahead of them in the standings. Yet they're both in the field and Vanderbilt really wasn't anywhere close to making the field. Uh, it, why don't conference results really matter more in that process? Well, because the men's basketball committee has, has made an active choice to treat every team like an independent and not count conference games as conference games, which I think is ridiculous. And, and, and I'm on record as saying that loud and clear. Uh, you, you know, it's, it's 60 to 70% of your schedule like why have conferences then, right? Uh, you, you know, we talk all the time about adding more meaning to the regular season. Well, let's add more meaning to the regular season. Uh, you know, unbalanced schedules. Kevin have something to do with that. They'll say, well, you know, in in their side of the league, they had an easier path. Blah 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 blah. Um, I, I just don't buy it. Like they chose to have an unbalanced schedule to have more teams. And frankly, it's greed. And, and I'll give you, you know, one of the reasons why the big 10 has had such great metrics and such a higher percentage of its teams in the field than anybody else has been, they play a true double round Robin. Right. And they're about to learn that more is not more that less is more. And if you don't believe me, just look at the ACC. You know, they get five out of 15 and the commissioner's going batty uh, and, and, and wants to examine the process. Well, that's the classic case of we're losing the game. Let's change the rules sure. after it starts. And, you know, I don't have anything against the ACC. I think it's the greatest college basketball conference ever. But it isn't now and it hasn't been since it got – so big for football that it lost its way in basketball. Okay, that's a choice. That's it. And, you know, may, maybe they're still laughing uh, when they meet with their accountants and they're happy about it. But then, like, don't bitch about North Carolina, right? 
Um, and and yeah, like Vanderbilt was clearly good enough, clearly from an eye test perspective. But there was also no doubt in my mind that they weren't going to make it based upon the process that's in place and the precedent that the committee has laid down over the years. They would had to have changed their ways for for Vandy to get in. And, and I'm not saying that's right or that's wrong. My job is to predict what they're going to do, not who I would vote for. Do you think the NCAA will make some tweaks to the net rating? Uh, it, it does seem like it has some holes here and there. What do you think about that part of this? Well, it's the best rating they've come up with so far. Uh, it's better than the RPI. Uh, the RPI could be manipulated, and and it was it, it, in its latest few years that it had been reverse engineered so well. Uh, and you know, guilty, right? I'm I'm, I'm among the guilty parties who then. <laughs> helped schools along the way. Uh, The net can't really be manipulated that way because it's much more about how you play than who you play. Like the RPI was literally 75% your schedule and your opponent's schedule and only 25% how you performed in terms of wins and losses. Um. so, so, so I think the net is better. Uh, y- you know, I still prefer to aggregate a bunch of different metrics and watch a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, more information and more observation is good. Um, but, you know, v- Vandy was, what, 80? Selection Sunday? Yeah, they right just, around there. Mm-hmm. They just weren't going to make it at 80 because for the next, if they do that for the next 10 years, what do they tell the team at 40 that doesn't make it? Like some of it's just, just logic and not basketball necessarily. (laughs) Right, right. Joe, your deal is results uh, driven and not necessarily delving into personnel, but do you think NIL and the portal, and I can give you so many examples of, of play, K-State, for example, do you think NIL mm-hmm. and the portal have finally given us that parity we've talked about for years and, and maybe upset the apple cart in this tournament this year? I don't know if we know that yet. Uh, it's certainly a convenient explanation when, like, frankly, results are so random that those of us who consider ourselves experts, <laughs> we're, we we have to have a reason, right? It can't be that, oh, a random gust of wind blew that ball into the sand, right? Like, there has to be a reason. Like, had I been playing a higher spin ball, it would have been on the green. When... Yeah. It's mostly luck. And and, and to, to me, the, the fact that what do we have, a four, two fives, and a nine in the final four in terms of seeding, to, to me, that's not the upset. The upset is that it doesn't happen more often. Wow. Because what's really happening is uh, 
it, it's the format of the NCAA tournament that upsets the apple cart. We're talking neutral games with you know neutral officials without home crowds and big boy schools that are used to playing 80% of their games at home. And, you know, now all of a sudden, those kids at Florida Atlantic, they're not that much different from our kids when we're not playing, you know, at Rupp Arena or, or wherever. Uh, and and I, I think that has a lot to do with it. I, I will say, to me, the one piece of it that, that I think is clear, and that is older is better. Not in every case, but, you know, the one-and-done formula maybe has run its course. And it's not just NIL and the portal. It's it's the extra year that a lot of people got. So literally the sport across the board for a cycle got a whole year older. And I don't know about you, but – you know, I was physically more capable of things at 23 than I was at 18. Uh, I agree with you. And, and, it, and it could still continue in years yeah. to come. For example, Tennessee has four seniors, all of whom have a COVID year and could come back next year. Right. And we don't know. Yeah. You know, and but but the portal works both ways. Like Nigel Pack... Miami's probably not in the Final Four without Nigel Pack. Right. Well, Kansas State, if Ada still had Nigel Pack, <laughs> right? Yeah. Maybe those I teams never thought trade. About that. Maybe they trade places. Uh, you know. You know what I think it it means, Chris. Deep down, even more important to get that copy of Blue Ribbon in the fall and know who's on what team, what they're doing. I like that, buddy. I like that a lot. How about that? I, I love it. That's from the high rope right there. I, I can't think of a better way to end this conversation than that right there. Joe Lenardi, he's, he's on his way from his bunker to the golf course. Always enjoy the time with you. Thanks a lot. Really enjoy your perspective and uh, and taking a look at your work throughout the season. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Talk to you friend. next year. Don't lose too many golf balls, buddy. Oh, I will. <laughs> well that was joe lenardi espn's bracket expert always fun to have him on our show with us and uh give some explanations for how uh, some of the process is done and determining the teams for the ncaa tournament and the seating and, and also those sorts of things uh he really knows the ins and outs and how it all is assembled and uh all the best to him on, on his golf game as it looks like uh, he, he's about to head to the <laughs> course full time i've played with him before he needs help he really does. <laughs> yeah so he doesn't need to be using the the high spin golf balls uh, maybe, maybe something no, a little no, cheaper not, no indeed he needs to use <laughs> those top rocks there you uh, go yeah I, i've hit my share of, i've hit my share of top flight uh, golf balls back in the day nit by the way uh, north texas is going to play wisconsin utah valley against uab they're going to play out in las vegas this week semifinals tuesday and championship on thursday night i would not be surprised if uab won that whole tournament uh i, I saw yeah, them play I against vanderbilt say, last wednesday i thought they were really really impressive for andy i Kennedy. watched your game uh jelly walker you, you kind of checked him in the first half and in the second half he went off yeah he did uh he had two points at halftime ended up with over 20 uh, he, he's just a, a scoring machine and pretty fun player to watch and really hard to stop he's fun to watch unless you're playing against him that's for sure another team that was built by the portal and andy kennedy uh again another person a coach that i've known for many years flat out says 
that we are our portal team. We are going to recruit by the portal. They'll take the occasional high school kid. But he said, you know, why would I take a high school kid when I can take a guy who's played in college two or three years? And what Joe said about the COVID year is true, too. I think we've seen uh, a preponderance of experienced teams because of all these kids that could have extra years. And it's not done yet. As I mentioned, Tennessee has four seniors that could all come back with a COVID year. I don't think they will, but they could, and they'd be one of the most experienced teams ever. I do want to pass along all the best to Eric Montrose, who uh, has started treatment for cancer. He's 51 years old. He was a two-time All-American in North Carolina, does radio broadcast these days, won a national title with Dean Smith back in 1993. I I met him a few years back, and we played in North Carolina when I was at Belmont, and he's a very nice guy. So all, all the best to Eric and his family. Uh, it's, you know, it's, a, it's always a tough journey. Anytime you start those cancer treatments, it's scary and all those things. So I uh, want to wish Eric Montrose the very best. He, he was a terrific Absolutely. player and, and, a, and a good radio analyst and a, and a really good guy. Absolutely. I, I loved him as a player, and, you know, he did great work behind the mic too. All right, let's get to our spoiler-filled Mandalorian recap. Uh, another week and another fight with some sort of monster for the Mandalorians, wh- which now include the 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 back in the in good graces, Mando and Bo Katan. Uh, this time they fought off a pterodactyl, which claimed one of the younglings, and uh, they they were able to get him back and and take care of business there. Uh, Chris, uh, give me your take on this episode. Well, I was really pleased to see you remember the ill-fated uh, prequels uh, uh, with Jar Jar Binks. Yes, And the actor who played him, Ahmad Best, was near literally the brink of suicide. People hated Jar Jar. I got to say, I didn't like him either, but I didn't no. phone in death threats no, to Ahmad I'm, Best. No, I don't take it quite that seriously. <laughs> but they, they were able to this, – this is so cool. John Favreau and Dave Filoni know the, the, the lore of, of the canon uh, from all facets uh, of Star Wars, and, and they gave him a part where Grogu was watching the armorer do her thing, uh, building him a little chest plate. And he had a flashback to when uh, this Jedi Knight named Kelleran Beck saved him uh, with a two lightsaber action. And, and it was awesome. That actor was played by, or that Jedi was played by Ahmad Best. Wow. So I did not realize that. That's really cool. It's really cool for him to, to be back. Um, Somebody, somebody I read, it's like, you know, if, if this is the planet where the Mandalorians are hanging out, you'd think you'd want to have a place that where you wouldn't be swooped up at a moment's notice by some kind of flying raptor <laughs> as this little kid was. And that was the, the whole deal. They, they had to go after him. And Bo-Katan took the lead, you know, tough female character. And they were able to get him. And uh, this is the way, you know, uh, they, they teamed up and, and, and then they found three little foundlings, uh, the raptors' children, who were left going to be left unfed in the nest. It'll be interesting to see how they do with those. But my favorite scene was when Grogu had to face off against the other little foundling. And he was apprehensive about it. But, you know, Mando thought, hey, kid, you can do this. Uh, I've seen what you can do. Take this kid out. So paintballs were the weapon of choice <laughs> the little kid gets an early two nothing lead out of three and then uh, mando says come on kid you can do this so he does a couple of little flips and flops and it disorients the kid and then bang 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 three paintballs to the chest 
and Grogu is victorious. So don't do not mess with Grogu. That is the moral of this story. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, I, I said the same thing. You know what? You don't be messing around with Grogu when it comes to paintball. Another important question I think was answered uh, during this episode, and that's how do the Mandalorians eat? And there, there was a scene where they yes. were sitting around the campfire, and and they made it clear that they all kind of spread out and go to separate places to take off their helmet to have their food. Yeah, yeah, and, and whichever one is sort of the, of the leader there is the one that gets to stay closest to the fire. <laughs> exactly. It reminded me of kind of eating alone in the lunchroom in high school. I always hated that when, <laughs> when your friends weren't <laughs> around. So it's like, well, you what? You can't show your face if you're a Mandalorian nope. to to another. It's, yeah, anybody. it's kind of silly. It's really going to get silly when the armorer has to build a helmet for, for Grogu because Grogu's deal is his face and all the little sounds he makes and those ears. What are they going to do, put ear slots in the helmet? I, nah, I, 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 just don't, I don't see it. how it's going to happen. No, I don't think he needs, I don't think he needs Beskar. I think, I think Grogu is a, is a badass uh, all by himself. All right, that's this week's spoiler-filled Mandalorian recap. We'll have another one for you coming up next week. All right, Chris, to finish up, do you have an answer to our trivia question? Uh, The question was, who is the all-time leading assist man for San Diego State men's basketball? You know, I I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it, and I knew if you're asking the question, it had to not have an easy answer. And then I thought, you're a baseball guy. So my guess is, this is just my guess, Tony Gwynn. Tony Gwynn is the correct answer. 500. Which is nuts. Yeah, Because of course. he was a better baseball player than he even was a basketball player. He, he was a terrific basketball player. Of course, he, he's a baseball Hall of Famer. He's one of the greatest hitters of all time and played his yeah. whole career with the Padres. He's known as Mr. Padre. But for San Diego State, from 1977 through 1981, he had 590 career assists including 221 in the 79-80 season. So Tony Gwynn is the correct answer. That was great trivia. And what gave it away is I know you love baseball. <laughs> so I I just had to stop and think for a minute. And then I remembered, yeah, Tony Gwynn was a two-sport athlete. And he's one of my favorite baseball players of all time. I, oh, I he, was, he was a great dude. He was a magician with the bat. No doubt. He must have been a magician dropping dimes. Yeah, too. for sure. Yeah, both both uh, sports. He was excellent. Well, Chris, that'll do it for this week's edition of our show. Of course, by the time we speak next week, we'll have a national champion. There's no telling who it'll be. San Diego State against FAU and Miami against UConn. I, I think I agree with you that, that UConn might be the one cutting down the nets, but we will find out. Always great to do the show. Appreciate it, and I appreciate Joe Lenardi joining us as well. Talk to you next time, bud. Thanks, buddy. He's Chris Dorch. I'm Kevin Ingram. That is the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. We'll talk to you soon.